Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study. In this series, Pastor Kirk Hall will be teaching through the book of the Bible known as the Revelation. At this time, open your Bible as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truth to your heart. You guys go ahead and open up Revelation 22. Revelation 22. We are going to be looking at verses 6 through 11 tonight in the last chapter of this book that we have been walking through, and it has been a journey. We are definitely beginning our descent toward the end of this book, and we're going to talk about tonight the application of Revelation. Many people look at Revelation, and they try to claim that there's no application. We're going to see tonight that that's absolutely not true. Uh, there is application to this. But granted, we have been week after week after week looking at information, looking at prophecy, looking at facts, relating those things to where we are um, in our time, uh, also relating those things back to where John was in his time. So we've been looking at facts, no doubt about it, along with a lot of Scripture. But we're going to go into a little transition tonight where we're going to see the application of what we have been seeing. Many people have, unfortunately, gotten so caught up in all the details of Revelation, and sometimes the details that aren't there that they make up in their own minds, and trying to figure out things and, and give reason to things that's just not there, they get so caught up into those things that they miss this part. They miss this part, this application part that we will be looking at tonight and answering the question, how should we react to what we have seen? All of these things that we have seen, and I don't expect you right now to remember all the way back to chapter 1. Do the best you can. But what we have seen is a lot. And so in everything that we have seen, we're going to see tonight that, that John is actually going to wrap all this up and begin to wrap it up with how we should react and give us that application. Um, because it's the farthest thing from the truth. If you hear someone say, well, I just don't feel like the book of Revelation is applicable today, because you will hear that uh, if you spend any time in any theological circles. Uh, there are many people who, they will try to discredit that Revelation even belongs in the canon. We're not going to be those people. You know how we know that Revelation belongs in the canon? It's in the canon. We have it in our hand. It's here in these 66 books that God has sovereignly preserved. So we're going to look at what oftentimes many people miss, and that is, how does this apply to our lives? Let's read it. Revelation 26, 22, verse 6. It says this, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the, of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He says in verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. And the angel says to him, worship God. Then he told me, 
Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. You look at this tonight. It's going to teach us some things about how do we apply this book of prophecy that we have been studying so intently for weeks and weeks and weeks, months even. How do we apply it? The first thing that I want you to see is in the first two verses, and this is going to be a little different tonight. We're not going to be looking at facts. We're going to be looking at application. And I want us to see that the first thing that we have to do is we have to trust God's word in regard to revelation and in regard to God's word in its entirety. But especially and specifically because we've been studying revelation, we need to trust in the word of God. Six and seven, we saw this. He says, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. People who say that we really believe that the revelation doesn't belong in the Bible because it's too hard to understand, these words are trustworthy and true. They are just as trustworthy and true as the Psalms, as the Proverbs, as Romans, as Genesis, as anything else that you will find in all of Scripture. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. When we look at Revelation, we need to remember this is the word of God, and it is true. The angel is making that very clear here, that we have to trust God's word. We have to trust the things that we have seen, how they have unfolded, and the time span that they have unfolded in. We have to trust in the prophets, who we said at the beginning of this study, they are going to give us illumination into understanding revelation. We have to trust the Word of God. And so our first application is to do just that. Trust what we have seen. Verse 7 says, Behold, this is, of course, Christ. I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy in this book. So in verse 6, as we look at verse 6 and 7, and as we kind of break this down for our application, verse 6 proclaims that this revelation is God's Word. It's God's Word. And what do we know about God's Word? We know that 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed. This is just as God-breathed as the rest of it. All of it is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we have to trust that this that we have been looking at is God's Word. I said last week when, when I was teaching this class that Many of you were intimidated by Revelation when we began. And unfortunately, so many people are intimidated by it because they don't look at it the way they look at every other book in God's Word. We have to look at it just like that, just as we've done. Has this been intimidating at all? No. We have taken it and we have literally interpreted it all the way through. Here is what it says. Here is what it means. We have to trust in that, that this is God's holy word, just as anything else. All the books that we see that are before this, all of them God-breathed and inspired, written by men as the Holy Spirit carried them along. Everything that the word of God proclaims is going to happen just as the word of God proclaims it. How many of you guys believe that? Revelation is no exception. 
Revelation is no exception at all. We have to believe that as we have been walking these things out and seeing these things, that they are going to unfold just like that. And in seeing that, we know this, that Revelation has declared all the way since verse 1 of chapter 1. You'll go back and you'll remember verse 1 of chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, John says, which God gave, gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. That word soon, we talked about this. That is takos. That means imminent. That means that these things, once they begin to happen, they are going to happen just as we have seen them happen. We are going to see the beginning of the tribulation. We are going to see a three-and-a-half-year time of peace under a seven-year peace treaty. That peace treaty is going to be broken by the Antichrist, who we've learned is the beast. At that point, there is going to be literal hell on earth as the judgment of God falls and the wrath of God falls upon unbelieving mankind that is here on this earth. We've looked at all of those things. And we mustn't forget that we have to trust in God's Word. These things are going to happen. We're not going to get out of it. God hasn't changed His mind about it. Just because it's been 2,000 years and it hasn't happened doesn't mean that it's going to happen. That's what a lot of people want to say. If these things were going to happen, well, they surely would have already happened. To that, I say, no, that's totally incorrect. Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean that it's going to happen because God has promised that it is going to happen and God has promised it in His Word and His Word is true and I'm going to trust in His Word more than I'm going to trust in your opinion that because it hasn't happened, it's just not going to happen. It is going to happen and it's going to happen exactly like the Word of God says that it's going to happen. When the first tick on this eschatological time clock is activated, meaning this, when we see the first events in the Revelation, begin to happen. It is going to fall in sequential and chronological order very rapidly. It is going to be imminent. And so we have seen this. We have seen in this study these things that will happen. We have seen judgment fall. Judgment after judgment after judgment. We can go back. We can see the seals. This seal happened. The next seal happened. The next seal happened. The next seal happened. And the chain reaction was started. And in that, once it was started, the return of Christ was definitely quickly approaching. I told you when we were there, we saw Christ come back to this earth and set foot on the Mount of Olives. This is the climactic event of Revelation. Why? It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is Him coming back to this earth to reveal Himself to all why? So that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so it's very important that we trust God's Word in regard to what we have seen. It's important so that we will live our lives and share the gospel like we really believe this book said things were going to happen. Like we believe that God could set these things in motion at any moment. I told you when we discussed the topic of the rapture, there is nothing keeping the rapture from happening. Nothing. Now, is there something keeping the rise of the new Roman Empire from happening? Yes, the Antichrist has to be established first. But there is nothing that is keeping that event, the rapture of the church. And let me just tell you this. That is the thing that is going to trigger everything. 
When that happens, when he takes his church from this earth, immediately all of the things that we have seen will begin to fall like a domino effect. All the way to the return of Christ, to the establishing of his millennial kingdom, to what we have seen there in Revelation 21 and the first part of 22, the new heavens and the new earth, just after the great white throne judgment. But we must believe these things, trust them, live our lives as if we really do trust them. The sad thing is most people don't even contemplate these things any longer then, eschatology. It's not talked about much in the American church. We, we talk about how to live our best life now. We talk about how to have health, wealth, and prosperity now. We don't spend a whole lot of time in so-called churches talking about what we've been talking about week after week after week after week. You know what that says to me? The church no longer believes in these things. But because we have seen these things, and what did he tell us in the beginning? You're going to be blessed because you have heard these things proclaimed. You have heard these things taught. You have seen these things laid out perfectly as Scripture dictated these things. You'll be blessed for that. What a blessing it is. Why? Because now, if you choose not to believe what we have seen in Revelation, you choose not to believe the Word of God. So if we really believe the Word of God, I really believe this. We're going to live like we believe the Word of God. If you really believe that Jesus is Lord and He is of your lives, You're going to live as if Jesus is Lord. If you really believe that the prophecy of this book that we have been studying is going to happen just as it said it's going to happen, you're going to live your life as if that's going to happen. But many will go to church their whole lives, never be taught about or warned about the things that we have seen here regarding the end times or eschatology, the coming judgment, the coming wrath on this earth, eternity, in the lake of fire, many people will spend their time in so-called churches and never, ever hear about these things, nor will they ever have the opportunity to contemplate these things, much less believe these things any longer because, well, we just don't see that it's important or we're intimidated by it. Or we think there's just no application. Here's application one, trust God's word. That's the application that you're receiving here from, we know, John telling us what an angel revealing to him. The angel said, these words are trustworthy and true. That ought to be enough for you to believe the words of the revelation. They're trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. What does that mean to us? That means this. The same spirit of the prophets that led Isaiah to write down what he wrote, and Daniel to write down what he wrote, Ezekiel to write down what he wrote, Zephaniah and Zechariah, Malachi, and so on and so forth, he's letting us know that the same authority is the authority that has made sure that we have revelation in our hands. It has made sure that we, as men of God, have been able to study it for this past several months. We cannot neglect to trust in what we have learned. Many people have no expectation of the things that we have learned about. They have no expectation of coming judgment, coming wrath. They have no expectation of a literal hell, a lake of fire, burning sulfur. They have no expectation 
of an antichrist who is going to wreak havoc upon this earth. They have no expectation of the return of Christ where he is going to set all things straight. They have no expectation of a new heaven and a new earth. You men, hopefully, you have that expectation now. And if you really believe that expectation, it will change the way that you live your life. You will live your life differently because you trust God's Word. But some people don't have that expectation. And Jesus warns of this in Luke chapter 17. He also warns in Matthew 24. Verse 26 of 17, it says, Just as it, is in, it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. We have the expectation of that. Now I want you to think for a second. If churches are not talking about these things, or so-called churches are not talking about these things, they have no expectation of those things. They don't really believe in those things. I pray that you be men who believe in those things because you have seen those things. You have seen all of those things unfold. I pray that you not be those who this day and the days that we have seen laid out in Revelation, I pray that you're not those who are taken aback by those things and caught off guard, but that you know the truth. Because to say that we believe something, to say that we believe the things that we have seen in Revelation, with our lips, and then to deny them by the way that we live is really unbelief in the Word of God. Because if we really believe the things that we have seen, it's going to change us. It's going to affect how we live our lives. Trusting in God's Word, yes, that is an internal thing. But how many of you have walked with Christ long enough to know it, if you really trust in God's Word, it is inevitably going to manifest itself outwardly? You're not going to be able to walk past that person who was lost and undone without Christ. You're not going to be able to walk past them and not share the gospel of Jesus Christ because you understand what awaits those who are not in Christ. You are going to. If you really believe what we have studied thus far, you are going to apply those things to your life if you really believe them. And so we must prepare ourselves and seek to prepare others by trusting what we have seen and what we have learned. It's very important that we see what's being said here. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. We should be telling people there's some things that are going to take place imminently. Some things that if you're not careful are going to catch you off guard and it's going to cause you to suffer the wrath and judgment of God. There are things that are coming. Have you noticed? When you turn on your favorite Christian network, none of these so-called preachers or evangelists are talking about these things. Even when they talk about revelation, what are they talking about? They're talking about kooky stuff, weird stuff, making up stuff to sell books, to interest people. We're going to talk a little more about that in a moment. 
They're not approaching it as if it is the word of God to be trusted. To know that these things are true. And they're trustworthy. That's why Jesus stamps it in verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. (laughs) These words are trustworthy and true. And Jesus steps in and says, Behold, I am coming soon. What that angel just said is right. Live like it's right. Live like it means something to you. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Blessed is he who understands what we've looked at and keeps these words. What does that mean? He lives out the truths that he has seen in this book. Are you living those truths out? Answer that question for yourself. Application one is to trust God's word. Application two, and what we ought to and how we ought to react, it is to focus on God in worship. Watch what happens here. Verse eight. He said, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. What's very interesting is we haven't heard John talk since chapter 1. John now talks again. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. Now, if you can read, you know what just happened. John says, I saw these things. I'm an eyewitness. This is eyewitness testimony. I received this directly from this angel, directly from God. I'm an eyewitness. There's no greater testimony to anything than the testimony of an eyewitness. When a police officer arrives to the scene of an accident, there are two vehicles there. Perhaps the drivers of each vehicle, maybe they're unconscious. You can't ask them what happened. What's the first thing that he's going to do after he makes sure that everything is okay and everyone is all right and everyone's taken care of? He's going to ask for who was a what? Witness. Who saw this? He wants to gather information, important information. What is that information? An eyewitness account. Here is John saying this is an eyewitness account. I'm the one who heard and saw these things. No one handed these things to me. I'm not making this up. I didn't read it in a book. I saw these things. When I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. And the angel says, worship God. Our second application is this, focus on God in worship. John speaks for the first time since chapter 1. He tells us these things. He's reiterating, I am the eyewitness to this. I am the eyewitness testimony to everything that has been laid out in this book. It's not secondhand information. You can trust it because of what you just heard the Lord say. And then we see due to the overwhelming nature of all the things that John has received, what does he do? He's beside himself. He's brought to a deep desire to worship, and he almost makes a mistake. He almost falls down and worships an angel. Now watch this. We know this. This was not the first time that John struggled with this, right? He would receive something overwhelming and, I've got to worship. We know in 19, verse 10, we saw that when we were there. It says that this, I I, I fell at his feet to worship him. Again, an encounter with an angel. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. John, again, overwhelmed. Who wouldn't be overwhelmed? He's saying, I'm an eyewitness. I've seen these things. I actually was transported to heaven, to earth, to heaven, to earth, to heaven, to earth. I have seen the end 
unfolded just as Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah said it was going to happen. I have seen these things. He says, and I was so amazed by it, I almost two times, and here he records the second time, fell down and worshipped an angel. And the angel stopped me. Thankfully, the angel did. He said, don't do that. And this is where we must be careful, men. Listen to me. Many have committed themselves to studying the events and the characters, all of the details of Revelation so intently that they now worship the idea of eschatology. We, we have seen those guys. All they do is talk about eschatology. They're, they're enamored by eschatology. Eschatology is great. But eschatology, just like any other ology, is not to be worshipped. John has seen all these things, and it wants to bring him to this place of worship, and he almost places his worship, again, two different times, in the incorrect place. He wanted to place his worship into the elements of the things that were associated with all that he had seen. He was about to neglect to worship the one true God. Listen, if eschatology does anything for you, let it cause you to worship the one true God. If any of this that we have seen amazes you, be amazed at God himself. Let it cause you not to, to bow down and worship eschatology, right? Let it cause you to bow down and worship God. But aren't we prone to that? Aren't we all really prone? I mean, we want to beat John up here, but we really can't do that. We're all prone to get lost in worshiping ideas and details around God because those things seem a little more tangible, don't they? That's where John found himself. There's a tangible thing here, this angel who has been conversing with me and showing me these things. Obviously, I need to worship something because this is a great moment, and he almost makes a mistake. But our worship of God, we know this at this point in time, is what? In spirit and truth. This is a faith thing. We must worship God in faith. And not get distracted by all the details that we have seen here in this as John himself even found a struggle with those things. We can't forget the purpose of our redemption. The purpose is so that we can worship God forever and ever and ever. For who he is and for what he has done. To worship, worship eschatology? Pay attention to this. Or theology? Or any other ology? Just for the sake of worshiping those things? I know people who are so enamored by theology that they worship theology and no longer worship theos, God. We must be very careful of that. Why would I say that we must be careful of that? John had to be careful of that. So we too must be careful of that. Not to begin to worship all of these ologies that are associated with all of the things that we see in Scripture, and namely, the eschatology that we see here in Revelation. We must be certain that these things are pointing us to worship the one true God. To worship, again, theology, eschatology, any other study or form of knowledge, is to neglect to worship the one true God. What does God say about this? You shall have no other gods before me. I've seen people so caught up in eschatology that they neglect to share the gospel with lost people. 
They have missed the point. John here reveals this. There's no doubt in my mind. It is revealed because the Holy Spirit wants us to see this. That if John struggled with worshiping things that are associated with God instead of God, if he was in danger of that, we too can be in danger of that. So let this eschatology that we have seen, let it move you to worship the one true God. Not to pat yourself on the back because you acquired some new knowledge or to get in a debate or argument with one of your friends who maybe is a different persuasion in their eschatology just so you can be right and they'll bow down to what it is that you want them to bow down to, your eschatology. But let's use these things to point everyone to the one true God so that we can worship Him. And we know the only way that we can worship Him is through a right relationship with Him that is provided through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and is provided there and there alone. So good theology always points us to worshiping the one true God, never to worship anything else. Good theology, knowledge of any kind, wisdom of any kind, begins with fear of the Lord. Don't forget that. Don't miss this application that's being laid out for us here to focus on God in worship. As you study Revelation, it ought to draw you to a deeper intimacy with God in worship. Just as when you study the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or Acts or anything else in all of Scripture, it ought to draw us to deeper worship of the one true God. So the second application... The first one being trust God's word. The second one, simply focus on God in worship, just as John was reminded when the angel said, do not do it. Don't you bow a knee to me. Worship God. Why? He's the only one worthy of worship and glory and honor. Focus on God in worship. Application number three, verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 22 Tells us this, then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Now, that last verse throws a wrench in your hermeneutical spokes. Rightfully so. It seems quite out of place. We're going to see that it's really not. There's a point to it. And there's a purpose. We'll get to that. But what he's teaching us here and what he's showing us is because we have received this information, we now have a duty. That's a word that the Puritans use quite often to describe what we as Christians do. We have duties as Christians. And I don't want you to forget that. I don't want that word to ever grow cold. We have duty. Many duties that are laid out for us in Scripture because we are Christ. It is fit then that we do obey our master in duty. I don't think that anyone would have a squabble with that unless they're truly not born again. But if you're born again, you have a new master. You know that your allegiance belongs to that new master. Therefore, you know that you have duty to serve him. So when we look at this, we have duty here that John is going to remind us of. That duty is to proclaim the truth to the world. If you receive all this 
information here in Revelation or in anything that you study in the Bible and you just keep it to yourself, as so many do, and pat yourself on your self-righteous back as you acquire knowledge that you don't utilize, which is pointless, you are neglecting the whole purpose of God revealing this truth to us. He has revealed this truth to us so that we will proclaim this truth. This information that we have seen in this book should cause us to have a deeper desire and a deeper urgency to share the truth of the Word of God, to share the truth of the Gospel, to share the truth of the things that are coming upon the lost and unbelieving world. They're coming. People won't speak of the judgment anymore in pulpits because they're afraid that people are going to leave their church. People may leave this church. They will not leave this church unwarned about the judgment and the wrath that is to come. We have studied it. We know that it's there. We know that it's coming. It's coming exactly like the Word of God says that it's coming. and We will not apologize for that. So we must proclaim this truth. That's interesting that he says, do not seal it up. Don't seal this up. This is not to be kept from anyone. This is to be understood. This is to be read. This is to be proclaimed. This is to be preached. This is to be taught throughout the ages. And as we've said, most ministries ought to just tear the whole book out of their Bible because they never even reference it. Because they're not willing to do what you have to do in doing your homework to understand it. And that is to study it, to show yourself approved, a workman who rightly divides the word of truth. Even the word that we see here in Revelation. Do not seal it up. We must not keep the things that we have seen. This life-giving message that we have seen. Hope for the lost. Who is hope for the lost? Christ. We don't see that any more clearly in all of Scripture than we do in Revelation, that He is hope for the lost. Why? Because we see Him ultimately giving final redemption to those who He came to save. What a beautiful picture we've seen. That men dwell with God in the end, in the new Jerusalem, in the new earth. Why? Because of Christ. Christ alone and what He did at Calvary to save God's children must not keep this life-giving message to ourselves. But to walk out the door, to not share the information that you have received and that we have gathered, to share the gospel that's associated with it, to give the hope that this gospel and this gospel alone gives, to not do those things, is to seal it up, and to act as if it doesn't really exist. Many people feel and act as if it is sealed up. Oh, I don't open the Revelation because it's scary. I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard that. I read through Revelation, I don't know how many times, and not once did I ever find myself shaking, afraid. I found myself afraid for those who are not in Christ. I found myself excited for those of us who are in Christ. I find myself praying for those who are lost, seeing the torment and the agony that they're going to go through. Never one time did I find myself afraid. Why? Because I see the greatest hope here in what we have seen, what we have studied. That's the hope of Jesus Christ. 
Do not seal it up. You must warn of the imminency of the things that we have seen. These things are going to happen. You can count on it. You can bank on it. It's more sure than me sitting here before you tonight teaching this lesson. We must tell others of what we know, what we've learned. We must preach even the warnings included in this book. The warnings. How many warnings have we seen over and over and over again? God warning people to repent because this is what is going to happen. Over and over and over again. But we don't want to tell anyone about the warnings because if we tell them about the warnings, they might not like us. They may think we're crazy. Can I remind you of the last time that the earth was destroyed? Everyone thought Noah was crazy. Everyone. But you're here today because Noah was faithful. You're here today because Noah was faithful. He warned his family. His family got in the boat. All the rest of the world perished. Don't worry about whether people think you're crazy or not. Warn them of the warnings that you have seen here. There is a coming judgment. Stop being afraid to say that. There is a coming judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. It's coming. You're not going to do anything to stop it. You're not going to do anything to slow it down. Every man, woman, boy, and girl is on a collision course with it. It's coming. Warn them to flee the wrath that is to come. Spurgeon said this, and we have it here below the pulpit every time we meet. Some of you have read it. Others of you have not. I encourage you, read it. But I'm going to tell you what it says. It says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. Let our efforts do all that they can do. And let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. No one go there unwarned or unprayed for. Why do we have a box full of cards with the names of lost people on them, your family and friends and loved ones who we have seen time and time again rescued from judgment and hell because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he did through his death, his burial, and resurrection. Why do we do that? We want them to be warned and we want them to be prayed for. I don't want a person to leave this congregation on any week remain in ignorance to the things that are to come. We don't have to every week start at Revelation 1 and work our way all the way to Revelation 22. Neither do you in your life. Can you warn of the things that you have seen in this study? I pray that you will. Why do I pray that you will? Because others need to hear that. It's important that we don't remove the coming judgment from our gospel message. So many times we can convince people that they're sinners. We then tell them that they need a Savior, but we forget to tell them the reason that they need a Savior. The reason that they need a Savior is because the wrath of God is coming. Where do we see that any more clearly than what we've been studying in Revelation? Remember those weeks where it just felt like week after week after week we were wading through the wrath of God? Like, is this the most gloomy thing that I have ever seen? This is almost depressing. It's not almost depressing. It's tragic. 
It is tragic. It is tragic to think that over and over and over again, God has given man opportunity to repent and to trust in Christ, and over and over and over again, man has refused to repent, and they will face the wrath of God. Warn those who are perishing. Warn them. Proclaim the truth to the world. That's how we apply the revelation for all the people who say, well, there's no application. There's your application. Tell everybody what's going to happen. Oh, you can't tell everybody what's going to happen because you're trying to figure out if you're looking at, at horses or if you're looking at tanks. It doesn't matter. The wrath of God is coming upon the earth. Repent, as Jesus said, for the kingdom of God is what? At hand. It's imminent. Repent. Repent now. Believe. Believe in who? Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the only hope that you have to avoid any of this that we've seen. We must not think that we have the responsibility, though, as we're going to see in the last verse, of making people believe. I told you that this verse seems kind of out of place, but it's really not. It says, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. What is he reminding us of here? It's not your job to change people. It's your job to warn people. It's your job to let them know there is a coming judgment, there is a coming wrath, and that God will seek vengeance on all of the wicked. Let them know that. Don't be afraid to let them know that, but don't think for a second that you're going to change anyone. Because when we look at this, He's not saying don't care about the people who are doing wrong or care about the people who are vile sinners. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is, is you stay in your lane in regard to these things. And your lane is to proclaim truth to the world. Your job is not to change the world. Oh, we have to reprogram the minds of so many Christians who have gone just off the tracks and gone on some detour of of social justice and, and fixing the world in the name of Jesus. As we've seen in Revelation, it's not our job to fix the world. He's going to destroy the world as we know it so that he can recreate it as he desires. Why would we want to change this place that he's inevitably going to come and he's going to roll up everything like a scroll and he's going to destroy it? Why would we want to change it? That would be pointless. But so many people, they think that that's the role of the church is to make the world a better place so that we can all hold hands and sing like they did in the 80s. We are the world. We are the children. No, our job is not to do that. We're not going to change the hearts of the vile, the wrongdoer. We're not going to change the heart of anyone. Why we don't have the, the, the power or the privilege of even being able to do that? That's the role of God. That's what He does. He says, in a very interesting way, let, verse 11, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. What is He saying? You're not going to stop him. Right? Don't you get frustrated with this world and the condition that it's in right now? Don't you want to change it? I hear all you guys talking beforehand about all your politics. You can just get the right person in the office. No, you're not going to change anything. You don't have the power to change yourself. But what are we to do? Well, we warn them. We don't try to change them. We don't try to manipulate their lives so that it fits what we think it ought to be. 
We take the message and the truth that we've learned through this and through all our other studies in Scripture, and what do we do? We go out into the darkness. We shine the light of Jesus Christ. We tell them the truth. Now watch this. If, if after telling them the truth, they want to be a wrongdoer, and they want to be vile, what did he just tell us? Let them. Let them. The blood's no longer on your hands. You've warned them. You've told them that the only hope is Christ. Now, if they want to continue to be sinners and do evil, remain in their unbelief, don't break your back trying to change them because you're not going to. In fact, isn't it interesting that Jesus, while he was here on this earth, he would send his disciples out, and he did? And what did he tell them? They don't receive you. Beg them. Plead with them. Please, please, please change. What did he say to do? He said, dust off your feet. Go to the next place. Don't spend your time thinking that it's your job to change people. I don't care if that's a member of your household, that's a coworker, that's a loved one, a friend, someone you meet at Walmart. Proclaim the truth to this lost world. That is all you can do. Now, what's interesting about the truth is the truth sets people free. How many of you were saved because someone shared with you the honest truth of the Word of God, that there is a coming wrath and there is a coming judgment, and the only hope that you have of being rescued from that is Christ who bore the judgment of all who will believe upon His back at the cross. And in Him is where you find hope, and you find hope nowhere else. How many of you were saved because you heard a message similar to that? All of you. Because that's a message that must be preached in order for people to be saved. We must take that same message to others. And if they determine in their wicked heart, I want to remain an evildoer. I want to remain vile. So be it. There's nothing that we can do about it. Let them remain in the condition that their heart is in. Knowing this, it doesn't mean don't pray for them. Should you pray for them? Absolutely. Leave that encounter praying. Lord, only you can soften their heart. Why? Because he's the only one who can soften their heart. He's the only one who can soften my hardened heart. Lord, soften their heart. Break them. Do a work in them that I cannot do. I depend on you for their soul because I can't change them. He's just giving us a clear reminder of that here. Don't be so caught off guard by it. It fits perfectly in the context of what we're looking at here. So when you go out and you proclaim the truth to the world, is everyone going to receive? No, some are going to stay where they are. Now, if you spend all of your effort and time trying to convince them to come over to where you are after they have decided in their heart of hearts that they're not going to, you're wasting time that you could spend on others, warning them, telling them the truth of what you have learned. So how can you study this book like we have for so long? This is what always fascinates me about Revelation. People study it for so long only to be enamored by what they have seen and heard but yet they continue to withhold the warnings and the truth that it contains from those who need to hear it most. This is my prayer for us, the men of Keli Fellowship. May it not be so with us. May it not be so with us. That's why I told you when we started this, we are going to look at this literally. I'm not going to give you a bunch of opinions or a bunch of weird, kooky, and quirky ideas. We're going to look at this literally. And what have we seen? Simply put, we have seen this. We have seen that there are 
bad times headed our way. There are even worse times headed to the way of the unbeliever. In fact, they are so bad, they will end in judgment and wrath and sickness and disease and plague and wars and pestilence of all sorts of kinds. And only those who are in Christ will be rescued. And when Christ returns, we are going to enjoy everything that he has promised with those who are in Christ. Nothing quirky or kooky there, is it? People get so enamored by all the things that they forget the message of Revelation. And because they forget the message of Revelation, they never proclaim the message of Revelation to the world. That's what we're to do. I pray that's what we will do. To proclaim to the world, Revelation is not a bunch of scary, kooky things. Revelation is not a bunch of symbolism that no one can understand. Revelation is just like every other book in the Bible. You approach it the same. You take a hermeneutical idea, and that hermeneutical idea is this. You interpret it literally and historically. That's it. Here it is. Here's what it says. Here's who it says it to. Here's how this applies. Now we go out and we proclaim it just as we have learned it. Revelation is not anything to be scared about. Revelation is something that we ought to use to proclaim the truth to the world that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, just as he has promised. He is coming. He is coming on a white stallion with the armies of heaven, just as his word proclaimed. And he is, by the sword of his mouth, his word, is going to annihilate the wickedness of this world. All of the events that we have seen in this, and before we're done, we are going to go through them piece by piece in a timetable. We've got a few more weeks until then. Don't miss that. That'll answer all the questions that you've asked 13 times in this study. Once and for all, I hope. But let us see the application of this as it's played out here toward the end. Let us see that application. Let's apply. May it not be so with us just to get a bunch of information and be thrilled by it. Let's preach it. Let's preach it just as Jesus and his apostles did. Mark chapter 1, what did Jesus preach? Verse 15, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. It's imminent. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Do you know this? Every generation of the church who has been thinking rightly has thought in our generation, these things are going to happen. Because no man knows when they're going to happen. Let us think the same. And if you really believe this, you really believe at any moment that the Lord Jesus would call his church home, and the first of the seven seals is then opened up, and we know what all those seals contain. If you really believe that that could happen at any moment, how could you ever withhold the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ from someone who's lost and dying and who will perish in that type of judgment that we 
we have seen unfold. So how will we react to what we have learned? How will you react? Will it be just another Bible study? Were you ooh and odd over what you had learned? Will it be the motivation that God uses to spark you to take the truths that you have learned and really give them the application that God desires that we give them as outlined right here for us tonight? Will it be only information? Will it serve as motivation? Wasn't that a pertinent question? Well, so many times we sit in churches and we gather information, 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 information. Let this be more than information. Let this be your motivation. Because everything's going to play out the way that it is. The world is not going to be a better place. It's going to get very bad before it gets any better. I must trust God's Word, as we've learned tonight. I must focus on God and God alone in worship, not just be all caught up in all the details. Be caught up in Him. And I must proclaim the truth to the world. Isn't that why we're here? We're not here to collect information, though information is great. But information that's not used. You're just wasting space in your mind. Take the information and apply it. For all the people who say or have said, I hope none in this room, there's not any application to Revelation, just, just a bunch of things we can't understand. I hope tonight that your mind was changed. I hope that you see that there's a lot of application to the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the application of your word. It's not your intent just to give us needless information, bits and tidbits of knowledge, one after the other, that we're never going to use for anything other than to promote our own pride and the fact that we know something. God, I pray that we would use this information as our motivation to go out into this world each day of our lives, at our jobs, in our careers, in our families, that we would see this as motivation to proclaim to others the truth of God's Word, the truth of the Gospel, that they may be saved and rescued from the things that we have seen in Revelation are sure to come, and they are sure to come soon. God, may we see the urgency in what we have learned. and May we be diligent in proclaiming that with urgency to others who are in need. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.